that is uh, a favorite of one of my favorites in terms of what is involved in growing the Christian life and particularly in ministry. And it's we're trusting the Lord that I'm going to share it in this environment. Sitting here is going to be hard to sit down and preach. So it might be a little bit more like a little fireside chat than a good sermon. But we'll do our best. And the passage has to do with our salvation. And we have been studying and talking about the abundant mercy of God that brings us, that preserves for us an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away. That we have the inheritance established. We did that several weeks ago. We looked at God keeping the inheritors, if you remember that, that he keeps us by his power, but not unilaterally. That is, it is his power that keeps us, but it is we who must add our faith to trust in him that that power becomes effectual in our life. It's working uh, with regard to us. And so our faith is an integral part of that. And as we looked at 1 Peter 1, we uh, last week in the overview of the concept of eternal security, really just talked about verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That this is the conclusion, this is the object, this is the purpose of our faith, is the salvation of our souls. And Peter is now going to transition from talking about God's abundant mercy and the mercy that is going to enable us to endure, the mercy that's going to keep us joyful in the midst of trials, that's going to be a major theme that we're going to be studying, to now he wants to talk about this salvation. And so we're going to have a couple of verses here, three verses, that are going to develop the concept of what our salvation is. And it's going to begin by talking about the historical element of this. Where did our salvation come from? And uh, is, is it new to the church? Is it new in the church age? Or was it something that is a development that God has presented? And so we have a very exciting passage of Scripture because it gives us some direction in how we're going to strengthen ourselves in our faith, in our salvation. That certainly our salvation is 100% uh, dependent upon the completed work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension, that this is the power of our salvation. This is the provision for our salvation. But taking possession of that salvation requires something of us, and that we can lay hold of salvation more and more, that it becomes not, uh, not that it forgives more and more or that we have a better inheritance, but that it, we allow it to impact our lives and define us more and more. And that process, and we talked about last week about salvation being a process as well as a, a, a relationship, requires something of us. And these verses really help point us to what is involved in that process. How can we develop our salvation? The, that's the end of our faith. How do I strengthen my faith? There's going to be a handful of words and phrases here that, uh, and we have examples of that, which we're going to use today, that are going to direct us in how to develop and lay hold of our salvation uh, with fear and trauma, that we're going to work out our salvation. We talked about that last week a little bit. And these are some of the 
concepts. Let me read the verses to you, beginning verse 10. It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. What a marvelous description of our salvation from the perspective of our inquiry into it. That is our, our study of it. And the study of salvation is called soteriology. Fancy Latin word, but it's the study of being saved. And we find that this is a study that does should not only captivate us, but it captivated the Old Testament prophets. We're going to talk about them first. And it also captivates angels. They 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 want to look into it. Even if it's not it wasn't they who are have received salvation, it's not for them that Jesus died, he died for men. Uh, they still want to investigate it. They still want to look into it. And so it's this whole concept of delving into our salvation and laying hold of it more and more and making it more and more precious to us and realize the significance of it. Now we're going to look at, we have some help in this process. So this is a process of, of investigation. And curiosity is, is uh, such an important element of this. This is a process of investigation that I want to know about my salvation more and more. I don't want to just go back and keep rehearsing over and over again the elementary things. That's what the author of Hebrews says. You can keep going over the elementary things, elementary things, elementary things, and that, there's some value there to rehearse the basics, but to go on to more mature things, to delve into the aspects of our salvation further and to find that there are there is no depth and breadth and height that can be scaled and crossed to fully do that, that it can captivate us all of our lives of studying our salvation. And so we're going to look at the historical, and we're going to look at the heavenly, and we're going to look at the helper. We have a helper in this process that's talked about in this passages as well. And so I want to take you, first of all, to that historical point, and that's here in verse 10. And it says that uh, the prophets engaged this. So our salvation is something that the Old Testament prophets engaged in. They were fascinated by it. We have, unfortunately, a kind of a blurred understanding of the prophets. As we, we kind of think, well, that would be great to have God speak directly to you and impart this knowledge to you, and then you get to deliver that message. And wouldn't that be fantastic to have that happen? And in many respects, we think that they had all the understanding and all the answers because of them being agents of God to speak his word to his people and to write it down. But that really is a false idea of what the prophets had to endure. When they were confronted with their prophets, they were just with their prophecies. When God brought prophecies into their life, it was disturbing to them. It made them uncomfortable. 
it confused them. When we look at as they develop in their prophetic utterances, they didn't think they were qualified. They were overwhelmed by their own sin. They didn't understand the message entirely. They asked God questions. Why is this so? And prayed for their people. And when you looked at the prophets, they were confounded by their own message. And it wasn't, even though God had given it to them, it says, thus says the word of the Lord, doesn't mean that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Daniel really understood what that word meant. They knew what the words were. God gave that to them. We're going to look at that. But they didn't really fully understand that. And so Peter says, the prophets of old, here's what they did with regard to our salvation. They inquired. And this is that curiosity. They wanted to know, what is this all about? You know, the words come out of my mouth because they came from God. The words go on the, on the paper because it came from God, but I don't get it. And we're going to see one illustration of that this morning. They, they didn't get it, and so they inquired. They asked of the Lord. They wanted to know more. They had this curiosity about it. They knew that God gave them messages, not only for their people of that day, about their sin, their need to repent, but they also gave them a message about the distant future. And they knew that. I mean, the terminology is very clear. In the last times, in the last days, uh, this is not really for you, this is for a future generation, but the prophets wanted to ask after that. They wanted to inquire. They were curious. They're prophesying about something that's going to be well beyond their lifetime, but they wanted to understand about it. And we are in such a greater advantage because we're on this side and we have it all revealed to us. The mysteries of Scripture are revealed to us because we're on this side of Christ. We're on this, we're way down the road in terms of what the prophets were shown. We get to see all of the birth narrative of Christ. We get to see his life his death, burial, resurrection, what it accomplished. We get to see the history of the early church and see it going on. We, we get to be the participants in what they only had a dark vision, of, and, and darkened not by their sin, but just by their distance from it. And because it wasn't for their generation, it was something far into the future, and they wanted to know it. Um, just like you and I want to know the future. Uh, we want to know when Christ is coming. We want to know the signs of the times. Well, they had this inquiry, this curiosity. And so they inquired. They asked of the Lord, what does this mean? You've given, us, you've given me this message. What does it mean? And we tend to not understand or, or appreciate that the prophets had this same problem we do. They got a message from God. All right. We call them now our scriptures. But they, and they could read it, they could understand the words, the words, but what does it mean? What is the implications of this on our lives and on the world? And, and they want to develop it. And so it says that the prophets of old inquired and searched carefully. They searched, oh, they searched so carefully. They wanted to know that. So let's look at an example to help us really appreciate this verse. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel, you'll have to agree with me, had lots of great prophecies. And he was an interpreter. 
So you say, well, he's an interpreter of prophecy. Certainly he understood, and God gave him the interpretations. He interpreted it for Nebuchadnezzar. He interpreted the writing on the wall for Belteshazzar. He was uh, a solver of puzzles is how he was described in God's Word. He solved enigmas. He answered everyone's questions. He was the guy with the answers. He was the wisest of the wise, and everyone went to him for the answers. And so we find that he is regularly, though, when he is given further revelation, it bewilders him. It disturbs his spirit. And he says that many times in, in Daniel chapter 7. Let's start there. Verse 15. It says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. God had given him these visions to communicate to him the future of the nations, and he didn't understand them. They troubled his spirit. He could, and, and, and so even while they were being given, even in the midst of seeing them, he was troubled. And this is very comparable to John in Revelation, so it doesn't change later on. John in Revelation, when he is given these visions, also was troubled, and he cries at one point. He asks questions, says, what are these? And, and he doesn't get it. Uh, he has to have further information. And so these men were troubled by what they knew, even though they had great knowledge and wisdom about truths of God's word, this further truth of, of your salvation was beyond them. They, they just had to inquire, they had to ask, they, they, it was troubling to them, they had to search carefully the scriptures. And so he asked in verse 16 is the inquiry. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. I, I understand what I'm seeing, but I don't understand what the truth is to what I'm seeing. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things, and we have that recorded for us. And this is a regular occurrence, that I need further information. And he asks, I want to know the truth of it. I want to know more about it. I want, to, I want, to, I want it clarified for me. And this uh, continues throughout the book of Daniel until we get to the end of the book of Daniel. And even at the very end of his ministry, Daniel still is asking his questions. So you go to Daniel chapter 12, and verse 8 says, Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So he, he records for us, the word of the Lord that he received uh, doesn't equal that he understood what he was teaching. In fact, here he, he says plainly, I don't understand. And look at the re final response of God to Daniel, and it says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. So Daniel doesn't get satisfied. God doesn't get, now in chapter 7, because of the application of that vision to his current situation, God says, I'm going to give you an interpretation. When we get to the distant future, Daniel, it's not for you. It's only for one generation. And every one of us, from the time of the giving of that vision in Daniel, all the way to this age, have to do the same work that Daniel did, and that is inquire and search carefully to understand the scriptures, to bring them into our 
in our very being of who we are and how we are living for Christ. We get to study salvation. Now, in between these passages in Daniel is a cool example of, of I think, where we should be. And that's in Daniel chapter 9. So we were Daniel 7, we were Daniel 12, now we want to go back to Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to read a portion of scripture beginning verse 1. It should be in Daniel 9.1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said. And then we have a record of his prayer, confessing his nation's sin, his own sins, and asking the Lord to forgive, essentially, to listen to us and to forgive. Forgive our nation, forgive me, forgive our people. But I want you to notice what Daniel was doing in Babylon. This is under now Babylon has fallen, so Nebuchadnezzar has gone off the scene, Belteshazzar has gone on the scene, we're in the time of the Medes and the Persians. And so Darius is there, and he realizes that, you know what, there's 70 years. How does he realize this? It's not by revelation, he doesn't get further new revelation. He goes back into the books, and he says, this is the book of Jeremiah. And so he goes back into the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah describes what it's going to take. It's going to be 70 years. How long are you going to be in captivity? Now, Jeremiah, again, a prophet that was mistreated, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that, mistreated, ignored, uh, threatened, imprisoned, drugged to Egypt, there is one occasion when it says the princes of Jerusalem came down and saved his life. And very possibly that could have been a very young Daniel. But uh, Daniel realizes through the prophet Jeremiah and the books. Now Jeremiah has some information about the period of time. Isaiah has even, and then Jeremiah also references Isaiah. That Isaiah even named Cyrus. So we even know what king it is going to be that's going to send for the rebuilding of the temple. And so Daniel is, is studying the books. I understood by the books the number of years specified. And so we get an idea that somehow the prophets knew it all and understood it all were completely enlightened, and that just isn't the case. They inquired. They searched carefully. They wanted to know not only about their time but about the future. They wanted to know what God was going to be doing for Israel, for the world, uh, they wanted to, They wanted that time of the great prophet that Moses to talked about that would be greater than Moses. And uh, they had foreknowledge of him. God gave them prophecies, but they had to study them because they weren't plain to them, even to them that received them. And here Daniel is studying the other prophets. He's asking God for help about the, the visions he's been given. And ultimately, God says, there's a limit. There's a limit of what you're going to understand and what any generation is going to understand until the very end. And then things are going to be just opened up. And that's the end there, day of 12. So I want you to see an example of how the prophets 
engaged with their own prophecies and with the prophecies that were there previous to them. That they truly studied it, they inquired, they had questions about it, they didn't fully understand, and then when they did come to understanding, uh, that which they understood always led them to repentance, always led them to a prayer confession. It leads them to weeping in Jeremiah, uh, to the book of Lamentations. Uh, so we have a whole book of that. And it always leads them to be brokenhearted before the Lord and humble themselves before the Lord, that he is the righteous one, that he is a, is a holy, holy God, but also a very loving God. He has a future. He has a future for Israel. He has a future of redemption. It's all laid out there. While they didn't fully grasp it, they wanted to search it more and more and more. Now, did they do this alone? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter. So, 1 Peter tells us what they wanted to know. And, interesting, they want to know something very similar to what you want to know, what I want to know. It says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicated, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So, we're going to break this down a little bit. So, I know I've skipped a phrase in verse t uh, 10, and we're going to go back to that, uh, of what they prophesied. But I want you to see what they're searching. They want to know what or what manner of time. So I want to know what and when. What's, what are you going to do, God, and when are you going to do it? And this is what they were searching. This is what they were asking. What is it that God is going to do that's so spectacular that he's sending all of these prophets to prophesy of it. The messianic prophets, prophecies that are in the Psalms that are that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that there's going to be coming a Messiah. And what is he going to do? What is it? I mean, with all of these hundreds and hundreds of years, all of these many, many prophets and prophecies, what is it that God is going to do? And when is he going to do it? What manner of time? And notice what it was that was moving them. It says the Spirit of Christ. Please notice. They were dependent upon the Spirit of Christ to receive their prophecies. The Spirit of Christ was already in them. The Spirit of Christ, of the Messiah, Christ is Messiah, the Spirit of Christ was in them. And it is that Spirit that gave them their revelation. But it is also that Spirit of Christ that they were dependent upon for the answers to their searching, to the answers to their inquiries they wanted. And so we have the Spirit of Christ giving them a prophecy, but the, also it's the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ that, that illuminates, turns a light on that prophecy, and sometimes says, um, don't worry about that one. Put that one on a shelf. It's for much later. Hosea chapter 2, Hosea is told the same thing. This isn't for you. This is for a lot later, but I'm going to use you to say it. And so you go to... You know, Hosea 2, I'm sorry, maybe it's Habakkuk, sorry, not Hosea, Habakkuk, chapter 2. Let's go there real quick. Let's just look at this example. I think I said Hosea when I meant Habakkuk. Yeah, Habakkuk, chapter 2, that's one of those books you don't open very much, right? Habakkuk, chapter 2, if you want to read verse 2, it says, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And so Habakkuk is told, 
I'm going to give you an answer, but you're not going to really understand the answer. It's for an appointed time. It's very similar to what Daniel was told in Daniel 12. The information I'm about to give you is way in the future. It's sure you're not going to see it, but it is sure because I'm the one that's giving it. It's for an appointed time. It is not yet. It is not here. It is at the end, and it will be true then. It's not a lie, but it's not current. So it's not something you should be expecting to be fulfilled in your lifetime. I've given you other prophecies for that. I'm going to give you something for another people need to read it. And Habakkuk chapter 2 becomes one of those chapters that's written for us. So the Spirit of Christ is in them revealing this information to them that's not even really for them, but it's curious. Now, I don't know how many of you realize how children learn in your home. One of the best ways that children learn is by not talking to them and talking to adults. Because children love to listen to adults talk to each other. When mom and dad talk to each other, children listen. When I come into a home and I'm talking to an adult, the children listen. They pick up vocabulary words. They want to listen. And, it, and it's a great format of teaching is to have them listen to something that's not even really about them, and it's not directed to them necessarily, uh, but they get to listen on. And that's kind of the condition of the prophets. They're, they're hearing information that's really not about them, and it's really given for other people, but they want, they're curious. They want to know what's God going to do for those people in the future that's well beyond my lifetime. And they search, but it was the Spirit of Christ that was in them revealing truth through the prophecies, but then also leading them into truth through that same spirit. It's the same spirit of Christ that's not only going to give the prophecy, but also give its understanding of it, and uh, that's important to us, vitally important to our endeavors in our Christian life, that we be attentive to that. So. Here we go. Go back to 1 Peter. So we have these examples before us. What was it that they want to know? They want to know what God's going to be doing and when is he going to do it. And similarly, we want to know what God's going to do in the end times and when is it going to come. These are the things we want to know too. And again, as they unfold, for them, it was about Christ's first coming, right? That was the priority for them, Christ's first coming, and that's what Peter's really referencing here. The prophets want to know when is the Christ coming and what is his coming entail. And they knew it was, you know, they had the prophecy given to you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. So we know where? Born of a virgin. We know that. Seed of a woman. We have all of this information given to the prophets, but they want to know what is it all about. It is about the salvation, not just of Israel, but of all who would trust in him, our salvation. And this was beyond them. They were still going and offering sacrifices. Perhaps they were in, for Daniel, he was in captivity and couldn't do that. And so their walk wasn't about going to the temple because there wasn't there. Uh, and so it was about prayer and praying in that direction and worshiping God in that fashion. 
And so they were looking when, when is this going to, and what does it entail that it's so wondrous? Well, one of the things that they were told in the prophecies was that Christ would suffer. Isaiah 52, 53, 54, the suffering servant. Uh, they, they knew that this Messiah to come was, would not just come in all this glory and power of his birth, but also, and of his life, and the workings that he did, and the teachings that he had, but there would also be suffering. And again, the prophets weren't, that wasn't new to them. Suffering is what all the prophets endured. Uh, sign up for that job again. We think it's be wonderful to be a prophet of God, and then we find out, well, they were often beaten, they were threatened, they were ignored in prison, as I said. They were asked to do odd things. You have to preach naked for three years. You have to crawl through, you have to dig holes in your house. You have to uh, marry this, this unfaithful woman. You have all this hardship that you have to endure. And so part of ministry was suffering. And that's very important to the theme of First Peter. Remember that one of the major themes we're going to look at is suffering, as Christ suffered. We do it with joy. And so they understood that. Part of my ministry and Ezekiel's told, you're going to have to have a horde of flint because no one's going to listen to you. You know, very different concept of success than we have about true ministry. Uh, we think, well, ministry is successful by the number of people who respond in the positive, but not for any of the prophets, most of their success in ministry. And this is where Christ comes on the scene and says, you know, how many of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and kill? Uh, that's that's how your that's how the people of Israel responded to the truth. They hated it. They opposed it. They fought it. And so the concept that this highest prophet of all, the great prophet to come, that Moses spoke of, and told the people when he comes, listen to him. The concept that that prophet would also have sufferings wasn't unusual to them. That didn't disturb them because they knew that they had sufferings for being a prophet of God. They had that same being rejected by people. And in many respects, that's one of the measures of true prophets, is that they keep faithfully ministering even if they're rejected. And remember Jesus in Nazareth. You know, what does he say? He says, a prophet is without honor except among his own people, among his own hometown. That's where he's dishonored. And so that was the norm. That was the expected. And so when you talk about that he, the sufferings, we're talking about the, certainly the death on the cross, but we're also talking about being rejected by his own people. That his own, that he, he came into his own, his own received him not, the Bible says. They rejected him. Isaiah says he was despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows. That this is what the prophets foresaw. And it aligned with their own experience that if you are the representative of God on earth, there's going to be some sufferings because men don't want to hear the truth. And it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly to you. It's going to be costly to your health. It's going to be costly to your uh, bank account. It's going to be costly to your relationships. Um, it's going to be costly to stand for the truth. And so one of the things they prophesied wasn't this glorious Thing in terms of, you know, what we think of as all the wonders, it was a suffering that they were inquiring about the most, that the Christ would suffer. Well, he's going to become sin for us who knew no sin. This is, this is you know, that's what Isaiah 53, 
He's going to bear our iniquities on his own flesh, on the tree. He's going to bear us. And so they knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to become sin. And they were wanting to study this and inquire after it. And again, then there would be, on the other side of suffering, the glories that would follow at the end of that verse. And this I want to tie back to the end of verse 10, where it says, of the grace that's going to come to you, the grace to you. So here God has revealed that all of this suffering, all of these prophecies, all of these have an objective. Even the death of Christ and, the, and becoming sin have an objective. It's that God's grace goes to people like you and me. And that is the glory to come. That the glory to come isn't just heaven. The inheritance is certainly one element of that but it's the guarantee of that inheritance, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the guarantee of our inheritance. He has paid for it fully. And so it's through his sufferings that the glory to come is that the gospel goes to all people that all can be saved and can come into this relationship with God as their father as inheritors of the promise that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And so all of this is communicated to them as grace that wasn't grace they would experience, not in their lifetime, not like we do. We get to experience the grace of God in our life. We get to experience salvation. They had to wait for it in a place called Abraham's bosom. They had to wait there. They had to wait in paradise for Christ to come down and descend into the lower parts of the earth. So they had no, they, they, it wasn't going to be an experience for them for many hundreds of years. But for us, we get to experience it right away, the grace that would be ours, the glory of Christ in us. So uh, let's bring it into, so that's the history a little bit. Let's bring it now a little closer in our, into our present. It says, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering. So they... They had a ministry in the past to us. It wasn't really for their own people. It wasn't for them. They were curious about it and inquired. They wanted to know. They searched and studied it carefully. They wanted to uh, understand what God was going to do and when he was going to do it. And, and that is always profitable study. And, so, and that's why we should always be studying the, what God is going to be, his, promise, his promises and what he's going to be doing in the future and we should be inquiring in that. But their ministry was for us. We are the recipients of the prophet's ministry, but we're also the recipients of someone else's ministry. This verse also talks about them. So there's another agent here, not only the prophets of old, and, and we're going to come back to the Holy Spirit here, but there's another human agent. It says that, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you. So we have this chain of, chain of ministry, and each link just uh, pulling from the others and, and putting this together. So you have the prophets who were given the prophecies. They searched, they desired, they wanted to know what it meant. And then we and, and the Holy Spirit gave it to them, and we have now this linking it to us. How does it get from them to me? By others who similarly have the Spirit of Christ in them, 
to preach it to you. And so now, from the prophets of old, God raises up preachers. It says, to report to you, not prophecies that we have received. I didn't receive Daniel's visions. Daniel did. But God told him to close the book at the end of his book and said, that's for one generation to get. And so I go to that book, and, I, and my question to God is, is this a generation? If it is, I need to study this, and I need to search it carefully, because it says only the wise will understand of that last generation. And so there is obviously a, a need for that prophecy, for that vision, to be passed down so that the last generation would receive it and could open it and could understand it. And that process, God is sanctified. And that's why it's so precious that we have uh, your Bible on your lap, that we have the work of translators, that we have preservationists, that we have a more complete Bible today probably than maybe in any time in history in terms of our confidence level in it. Because the Spirit says, I am going to preserve that, and there's going to be a chain of, of, of custody. That's a big thing right now. Because of the election, you know, there's a chain of custody that, that has been broken in all these states so that people can interject error. They can interject false ballots without a chain of custody. But we have a chain of custody. God gave it to the prophets, and he has made sure the chain of custody is intact. And so we have the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. We have the ministry of the apostles. We have the, the work of preserving God's word. And we have those that are reporting to us. I'm reporting to you what the prophets have said. I am reporting to you, but that report to you, that preaching to you, isn't of my own intelligence. Because that's dangerous. That's going to always get us into error. The reporting to you, the preaching of the gospel, notice in this verse, is by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so I have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is involved in this entire chain of custody, from the giving of the, of the prophecies, all the way back to Genesis, and the 1-1, from then on, every, the truth of God's word, how are we going to get it to the people, that they might receive it, and receive that salvation, and the Spirit is involved. He's in spirit is involved in the prophets. He's involved in the work of Christ and his sufferings and the providing the salvation, but that's not the end of it. The apostles had a part, and Peter talks about his part in that. He's going to talk about Paul's part in that later on in his writing. And so we see that I have responsibility now, and I'm in this verse. You're in this verse. You have responsibility by the Holy Spirit to, to report information that the prophets communicate to others. We report the gospel to others. We report what was shown to them, what was communicated to them through God's word to others. We are reporters. We're here to declare truth to other people. It's not truth that you know, only Kirk Wesley has received. It's truth that has been passed down through generations, and now it needs to get out to other people. It's been reported to you. Someone reported to you the gospel, and you that's how you got saved. 
how I got saved. Someone reported to me in preaching the gospel to me. They didn't originate that message. Paul didn't originate the message. Peter didn't originate the message. Not even Daniel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, not Moses. None of them originated the message. It all came from heaven by the Holy Spirit. They received it by the Spirit and by the Spirit. So the first link is done by the Holy Spirit, and the last link has to be done by the Holy Spirit. I need to preach to you in the Holy Spirit. And so when people say, well, you know, when we go to that Daniel passage and we talk about this, in the end, last generation, the wise will understand, well, not by their own wisdom, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can open this book anew and afresh and have to do exactly what the old prophets did, and that was we have to ask, who are you asking? I'm asking God. Help me understand this. Help me realize the significance of this for my generation, for my time, for for our salvation, and then I have to inquire, search carefully through all the books. I need to search carefully. That means I'm going to do a detailed study. I'm not going to just superficially flip here and there, but I'm going to read and search. Searching is not is not a easily done task. It involves effort and energy, and unfortunately, more people put more effort into searching their family lineage than searching the scriptures and we'll search diligently to find graves and and birth records and stuff trying to see how far how many generations back we can get our family lineage but we don't search carefully the scriptures and there was one group of people that had that that badge put upon them that they searched the scriptures diligently the Bereans they searched the scriptures diligently to see if what they were being reported to them was true. So what is being reported to you, if it's in the spirit, will be in agreement with what the prophets taught. It's going to be not against any of what the scriptures, it's going to be in line with that. And so I can search diligently the scriptures to see if what I'm being, what's being reported today is accurate. And that's our job is to inquire of the God, what are you doing and when are you doing it, to search the scriptures that we might search diligently and carefully, all by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and then to report it to others. And this is what we do. This is that process. And this process has been going on for thousands of years. It will persist until Christ's coming, because he's faithful. That what he's begun he will complete, and that he will that all who search and ask will receive, knock, and the door will be open to you. It is readily available to us. But it is for us to follow the example of the prophets and to cry out to God and to, to ask to search, but then also to understand that we have to have the same response they had. What was the response of the prophets when God gave them understanding? The, the response of the prophets was, I'm so sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. See, when they understood their own prophecies, it moved them to repentance. It moved them to confession. It moved them to tears, to brokenness, to humility. And this needs to be our response, that when it's reported to us by the Holy Spirit, it's, it's an agreement with our searching of the scriptures, then there should be a brokenness. 
We should be responding by complete submission. I have to hold to this because it's in God's word. And it is in agreement. And it's for and it's God's grace to me. God has given us so much. And grace, again, is that which we don't deserve, that we receive freely from his hand. And so when he opens his word, when the Spirit comes upon us and we have an understanding of God's word, that's his grace. And we, our response to grace should be obedience. You know, if I, I, I not be out of duty, but out of thanksgiving. I've received so much from your hand, can I give back a little bit? I've been such a benefactor of your generosity that if you ask a small thing of me, I won't hesitate to jump at the chance of doing it. And this should be our response to God. We have benefited so much from you. When I understand your scripture, when it comes and is taught to me, is preached to me uh, by the Spirit of God, um, I should respond by obedience. And to just reinforce this process, and this is the process of how we come to an understanding of God's Word. We understand the context which it was given. We read the interpretive passages back then. We see its fulfillment in other passages. We see further instructions. We, see, we study carefully. We ask of God. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. And when, to reinforce that process, Peter even adds one more phrase. Even angels would like to do this. Angels want to look in on this. You know, we think, well, the angels have seen it all. They've been watching it all from the throne room of God. And we think that somehow, well, if they've seen it all, then they know what's going on. No, they don't. They are confounded, too. This is the extraordinariness of our salvation. And that's why I don't understand why people don't want to study it, don't want to talk about it, don't want to don't want to just engage in conversation about it. I don't get it uh, because it's so incredibly uh, full that there's no end to study. I don't know why we don't want to get together all the time and, and search the scriptures and ask of God and see what God's doing and explore the, the extent of God's grace. I don't get it. And neither does Peter. He says even the angels would like to do it, but they are limited. We have the Holy Spirit in us. They don't. They're, they're just seeing it unfold as they're given the commands. They, it says, doesn't say things which angels desire to look into. It doesn't mean that they know. They want to know. They would like to look into it, and you have the liberty to look into it. You have the Holy Spirit's help to look into it. They would love to be in your shoes. I hear you know, we had a funeral, and another friend on Facebook had a funeral, and everyone talks about, oh, they got angels' wings and all this stuff. They're flying with the angels, I heard the other day. And I'm like, you know, we act like we want to be the angels, and the angels want to be us. And that goes all the way back to the archangel that fell, Satan. He wanted to be like us, because we're like God. We have the image of God. He doesn't. He fell because he wanted to be like us. And here we are saying, oh, wouldn't we like to be like angels? No, angels want to be like you. They want to have Christ as, a, as their Savior. They want to have the Spirit within them. They would love to know how, and, and the study of the Scriptures. We don't depend upon angels for the study of the Scriptures. We depend upon the Holy Spirit in us. So much more superior than angels. 
And that's why Peter, I'm sorry, Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, have not love, I'm nothing. You know, there's no special angelic language that gets us closer to God. This is what gets you closer to God. Inquire, study, uh, examine, search, and, and, and never grow weary of it. Get past the elementary teachings. Get into the depth. And this is what we strive to do as a church, is to report. You need to know the basics, and I'll report those regularly. Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures. He's, he is buried. He rose again, and, and according to the Scriptures. And, and certainly that needs to be reported to the lost. But we need to get delve even deeper, because there's so much more to our salvation. And... And don't be surprised as, as you delve deeper, you realize, man, I need, I've been doing it wrong. And I need to confess sin. And I need to repent. I need to change things in my life to be in more conformity with Christ. And also don't be surprised that as you do that, that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be suffering in the process. But your joy isn't robbed because of suffering if it is built upon the careful search of Scripture, and by the help of the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about the seed that fell on rocky soil. Remember, the, the reason it died is because it had no, nothing inside of itself, no root in itself. We talked about the root of faith being necessary. Well, that faith needs to be rooted in the truth. And how do you make that root strengthen and go deeper. Well, it goes deeper in the soil. The soil is the, you know, the, the, it's got to go into the truth. We've got to draw from the truth, and, and that means we got to investigate it. we got to search it, and that's how you're going to grow those roots of faith in your life is by searching carefully, not by some intellectual pursuit, although we're immediately going to your intellect here in the weeks to come. We're going to be talking about the, your mind. And certainly that's engaged, but it's a dependence on the Holy Spirit to be, again, working with our intellect that I'm going to study, I'm going to ask, I'm going to inquire so that I understand, not so that I feel. Daniel didn't want to feel his visions. He already felt it, and that was scary. When he felt, when he saw it, and the immediate emotion that he had to that feeling was fear. It was unsettling. It wasn't. But when he understood, comes joy. And so we want to be these kinds of people. We want to be like the Bereans. We want to search the scriptures carefully. And then we want to be reporters of the truth, preaching it to others that they might get saved. Angels want to do that. They want to explore, what is this that God has done for these creatures called humans? He has given them his image. He has sent himself to die on the cross for them. He has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell them. What is this all about? They are floored by it. And that's why it says when everyone, when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, what does it say happens in heaven? The angels rejoice because it's overwhelming. Because no demon has ever come and been redeemed. But men have. Sinners have. And that's why angels rejoice over sinners that come to Christ because it's phenomenal every time it happens. It's a miracle. Every single time. It's something to celebrate. 
and oh, that we would understand the depth and breadth and width of our salvation, and you can't fully, but oh, that we would keep searching, inquiring, uh, be diligent, and then to report it in our preaching to others that they might receive it. This is the process. Oh, let's not let this chain of custody fail by not doing our part. We have responsibility to report what the Holy Spirit has taught us. I have responsibility to report, and that's what we strive to do, not only in teaching in the church, but in ministry, in my international ministry, and the opportunities that God has afforded me. I have responsibility to report to them what the Holy Spirit has illuminated in, in my Christian walk with regard to the scriptures. And they have a responsibility to report to me what the Holy Spirit has illuminated in their study of the scriptures. And similarly between all of us, that we might all grow in unity of the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to keep growing. We want to keep sending our roots deeper and deeper by doing what men of God have been doing all along. They weren't passive, they are active. I'm going to inquire, I'm going to search carefully. I want to know what God's doing, I want to know when he's doing it. I want to understand the glories to come and the grace, but I also understand the sufferings that are part of that, and I want to be able to report it to others for their deliverance. And this is why we have <laughs> these letters. <laughs> this is why we have first Peter because Peter didn't want to break that chain of custody of the grace of God of the good news of Jesus Christ and we should have that similar desire I don't want to break that chain of custody for those around me um, I want to be in the spirit I want to be sensitive to his leading I want to be in God's word and I want to report it to others that they might be saved I don't minister for myself the prophets didn't minister for themselves. They were ministering for others. They were ministering to others that they never saw. They were ministering to others that, that they would never meet until glory. Uh, the prophets didn't know you. They didn't even, they, I'm, I'm sure many of them didn't even have a concept that there would be a largely Gentile church. But they were going to faithfully minister it to whoever God wanted to reach their ministry. And if that meant the ends of the earth, that was wondrous in their eyes. And so we minister it, not for our own benefit. Oh, I'm smarter now. I'm more spiritual now. I'm, I'm closer to God now. And, well, that's fine, but it's not enough. The Holy Spirit answers your inquiries, guides your search of the scriptures, that you might report it to others. That needs to be every one of our commitment, not only to, to keep it intact for my benefit, to make sure I'm just a link. I'm a link in this chain. And many have brought it to me, and I want to make sure that I'm not the broken link. I want to make sure that it's tied and taught others. Paul understood this. He told Timothy, you know, what, the things I've taught you, you find faithful men, teach it to them also that they may teach others. 
Peter's doing his job. Paul does his job. Timothy does his job. Many, many thousands, tens of thousands have done their job so that you could hear the scripture today and have the scripture before you today. We don't want to break that chain in our day. Lest the Son of Man come and not find faith on the earth. And so this is an exciting passage for me. I, I, it's a very instructive passage for a pastor, really for all of us, in what God has done for us and what we should be engaged in in terms of study and what its purpose is, not for my own enjoyment and benefit, but for me to report it to others in preaching. And, and, and we're just praying that God keeps allowing us to minister in that way. And, and just praise him for that. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the chain of ministry that has brought the gospel to us and to our hearing. And we know that there are many, many others who need to hear it. And we pray that we might be obedient to your word and fulfill that part that you have for us, not in our own strength, not to our, in our own wisdom, but by your spirit and to your glory. We might communicate your grace, your suffering, and the glory to come to those around us. And that we might do so diligently and so much the more as your, as your coming approaches. We might be um, more committed to it than ever before to complete our part in that chain to someone else's life who needs to hear your truth, that they might inquire, search, and receive it, your grace. We thank you again for this time we spend in your word. And pray that we might count every opportunity to be in your word as, as precious, we might lay hold of them, that we might look for and even make more opportunities to do so together. And uh, that we might uh, be strengthened and rooted and established in our faith. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.